going to start Galatians chapter 2 this morning, and we're going to be talking about, again, Paul kind of correcting this false doctrine and these laws that, that these, that these uh, false teachers were trying to get the church at Galatia to buy into. Now, uh, we, there's some outrageous laws all across the states. And as I was digging this week, if you go to dmv.org, you can actually kind of Google and, and look into some outrageous laws. I want to share some of them with you as we get started. Is that okay? Just, just I think it's important that you be aware. I think it's important that you be aware. In Tennessee, Tennessee has a law that bans shooting game other than whales. Whales in Tennessee, uh, from moving vehicles, I need to add, from moving vehicles. So you can be in a moving vehicle in the state of Tennessee, you can't shoot anything other than a whale. <laughs> Chances of any whale finding its way into Tennessee via the Cumberland River are about as likely as snow on the equator, but hey, in the event, right, in Alabama, I know we've got some partners in Alabama, and so if they watch this or hear this, they need to know. Um, it is illegal for a driver to be blindfolded while operating a vehicle. <laughs> There's your sign. Uh, it's also, uh, it, it is legal to drive the wrong way down a one-way street as long as a lantern is attached to the front of your car. <laughs> need to know. Uh, one more in Alabama, just in case, right, just in case, uh, driving barefoot is illegal in Alabama. Uh, in Alaska, anybody ever been to Alaska? I know a few of you have, okay, yeah, I want to go to Alaska. In Alaska, it is illegal to tie a dog to the roof of your car. <laughs> do you ever wonder, like, how do they get here? Uh, in Arkansas, um, in Arkansas, it is illegal for a person to blare the horn on their vehicle at any place where cold drinks or sandwiches are served after 9 p.m. In California, it's illegal in San Francisco to buff or dry your car with used underwear. I almost didn't share that one, but in the spirit of... Uh, and also in California... No unoccupied vehicle may exceed 60 miles per hour. <laughs> we should post these on Facebook just so that, I mean, this is informational. This is important. Uh, a couple more, a couple more, a couple more. In Massachusetts, <laughs> in, <laughs> duh, duh. In Massachusetts, you'll be ticketed if you drive with a gorilla in the back seat of your car. Um, in Kentucky, if you stop for ice cream while driving, be aware that it's considered unlawful to transport an ice cream cone in your back pocket. Just be, be, be aware. Be aware. Um, in Georgia, in Marietta, Georgia, it is illegal to spit from a moving car or bus, but it's okay from a moving truck. That makes sense, right? I mean, that's... That makes sense. Uh, in Nevada, it's illegal to drive a camel on the highway. In North Carolina, Dunn, North Carolina, it's illegal to drive on a sidewalk. Makes sense. Oklahoma, it is considered 
Some of y'all need to hear this about Oklahoma because I know, I know some, of, some of you, okay? In, in Oklahoma, it's considered illegal to read a comic book while driving. Some of y'all need to know that. And lastly, in Oregon, it's illegal to pump your own gas, okay? So just know when you go to Oregon, don't, don't pump your own gas, okay? Because um, we don't have that line in our budget to bail you out now, especially that you know, right? You know better. Um, but those are some outrageous laws, aren't they? I mean, some of those, especially the ice cream cone in the back pocket. And I was thinking about going down to Massachusetts this week, but I was going to take my gorilla. And so I guess I need to make sure he's in the front seat and not the back seat, right? But, but some of those laws, right, because I immediately read those. And as I was looking at them this week, right, I immediately read those and say, how, right? How did we get here? Right, because I'm assuming, I mean, I'm guessing if you go get ice cream, you can, and, and you're in um, uh, what was the state, Kentucky, right? You can keep that thing in your front pocket, but just don't keep it in your back pocket, right? So just remember, ice cream cones in the front pocket, not the back pocket, when you're in Kentucky, okay? But some were relevant to the times in which they were written, right? There's a reason for these, right? There has to be, hopefully, right? There's a reason for these that, that's completely justifiable, right? And we would be resistant to anyone attempting to force many of those laws upon us, right? I mean, we would more than likely be resistant, especially if I'm driving on the sidewalk. Um, but in Paul's day, there was a group of people that took pleasure in forcing irrelevant laws upon Christians, right? There, there was a group of people that took pleasure enforcing irrelevant, outrageous laws upon Christians. It made no sense to Paul to force some of the Mosaic laws and, and some of the Old Testament laws on a Christian. And that's really, like we've talked about the last couple of weeks, the motivator behind this letter, right? That's the why behind this letter, is that he sees his brother and sisters being dragged through the ringer over things that Jesus died to set them free from. And that's why he's so passionate. And not only is he passionate because of the things that are being enforced, but he's passionate, right? He's passionate because they're doing it for personal gain. The why that they're doing it is not because they believe in it, right? But they're doing it for personal gain, right? Somebody, somebody can ask you to do something, right? Because they believe in it, because they're passionate about it. But others can ask you to do something, right? Because it helps them or it's personal gain, right? What's the why and why you're asking me to do this? What's the catch, right? What's the catch? Why would somebody want to, uh, what's the why behind that? And so Jesus had changed the heart of those who had received him. That's what Jesus specializes in, right? Changing the heart. Jesus had changed the heart of those who had received him, and so there was no need to place the bondage of the law upon them. So I want us to read in Galatians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13, we're going to talk about uh, three things of information from that, and then we're going to kind of look at three life applications before we leave. Sound good? Alright, sounds good. Let's dive in. Galatians chapter 2, Paul continues, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem and, uh, with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. And so Paul essentially is continuing his defense of the gospel. Right? Chapter 1 was all about the gospel. What is the gospel? Defense of the gospel. I'm astonished that you're walking so quickly away from the truth of the gospel that I preached to you, that you'd received, that is the foundation of the church. 
And so then he continues 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Those, those two names are important. Verse 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we may have, excuse me, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. That'll preach. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, they each had different platforms. Verse 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Same God, same inspiration. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when, he, they drew, when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. And so the, the, the big question here and the big thing that's being presented right to the church at Galatia is that is, is that circumcision is required for salvation. Right? That's an Old Testament law. You see that all throughout Old Testament. And the, and, and, and the belief here, right, that, that Paul is confronting is that circumcision is required for salvation. Okay, and so Paul is coming and saying, listen, no, 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 I, I preach to the uncircumcised, right? My brother over here preaches to the circumcised. God's given us both a platform. The inspiration is his, but it's not salvation plus circumcision. It's salvation, period, by grace alone. And that's the point that Paul is getting at. How does he get there? I'm glad you asked. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is Paul's friends. We see here that Paul has two friends, at least, right? Paul has two friends. I would imagine, I would imagine, I would imagine. Let me just aside real quick. I would imagine it could have been challenging to be Paul's friend. I mean, I'm just, I mean, can we just say that? I mean, this is a safe place, right? We, we can just say, I can imagine that, that, that Paul is one of those guys that you're just, you, you just look at from time to time and say, hey, bro, less coffee tomorrow, okay? Like, less, less, we got to just come home, man. Like, like, I'm risking my life to stand here next to you, Paul, right? And, and so can, can we just, right? I imagine, I just imagine it, it had to be 
difficult to be Paul's friend. But he has two friends that he mentions here that he took with him, right? Barnabas and Titus. Now, the Gentile was Titus. Titus was a Gentile. He was an uncircumcised Gentile believer. He was the test case. Now, the, the, the conversation that Paul sees here, and you can cross-reference, is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 10, where, where the, 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 the circumcised basically bring Titus right to the table, and Paul goes to bat for his friend Titus. And Titus's conversion stood as evidence that one could be saved apart from the works of the law. And so Paul goes to bat for Titus, and Titus stands by Paul, right? After 14 years, up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. He's the test case. He is the proof. He is the proof that salvation is independent from the law, that it's not salvation plus the law. It's not salvation plus baptism. It's not salvation plus speaking in tongues. It's not salvation plus church attendance. It's not salvation plus serving. It's not salvation plus any of that, all of those things happen out of the overflow of salvation, but it's not salvation plus, it's salvation period. And then the fruit of that salvation is however God decides to work on the heart of the believer. Okay? And so, and so Titus was essential in that. The second friend that we see is Barnabas. And Barnabas was a Jew, a Jewish believer. Barnabas' name literally means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. If you look at the definition of that, Barnabas was one that put courage into, right? Barnabas was one that put courage into. Anybody have a Barnabas in your life? That when they're next to you, when they're behind you, man, you just feel their courage. And you're like, I can, I can do anything, right? I can do anything. I can do anything, right? And, and so Barnabas was essential to Paul's ministry because Barnabas' role in Paul's life was to put the courage of God into him. Can I tell you something? Just, just pause right here. We're going to talk about this at the end a little bit more, but I, I just don't want to forget to say it in, 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 the, in, the, in, in the effect of time towards the end, right? Every single one of us needs a Barnabas in your life. Every single one of you needs a Barnabas in your life. Someone that puts courage into you. Someone that just, when you call them, when you, when, when you see them, right, that it doesn't matter what has happened up until that moment, because maybe you're calling them because of what's happened up until that moment, right? But after a 10, 15-minute conversation, after a 10, 15-second conversation, after that interaction, you can go, as they say in the South, charge hell with a water pistol, Right? That, 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 that there has been enough courage put into you. That, that is the relationship with Thad Harris that I have. That I can call that guy down in North Carolina and, just, and, and he can tell in my voice what I need to hear. It's the craziest thing. Right? Like he and, he and Kristen, my wife, like they just know by hearing my voice what I need to hear. And both of them are Barnabases in my life. And for Kristen, I guess, what's the female? Barnabai? Barna? Okay, you get the picture, right? But in, in conversation with them, right? right? They can take me from here to here where I'm ready to just run, right? Where I'm ready to stand in the truth of God's word, God's calling, God's mission for my life. 
right? And, and that's the beauty. That's why I couldn't stand up here and share about fellowship, right? Because, because that's not good news for me to celebrate. Yeah, we got 10 grand, but I'd rather for that church to be meeting this morning. Sorry. Okay, I promised myself I wasn't going to go there, Lori Beckman, and you made me. It's your fault, right? But each and every one of us need a Barnabas in our lives. And Paul, right? Remember, remember the significance of Barnabas in Paul's life, right? Who was it that went out and met Paul in Acts 9? Who was it that God came and said, hey, there's this guy, Paul. You mean the one that's persecuting Christians? Yeah, that one. I need you to go meet with them and, and give them the gospel. Give them the gospel. Like, tell them of my love for him and, and send them on mission. Who, who was that again? Come on, y'all. Do the math. Not a trick question. Okay? Barnabas, right? And so that, right? So Barnabas was a trusted, not only in Acts 9, but in Acts 10, right? Barnabas goes and seeks Paul out for the sake of the gospel and says, hey, Paul, you know, it's been a bit, right? I want you to come. I want you to do ministry with me. Scripture says in Acts chapter 10 that they did ministry together for about a year solid, that they were preaching in step with one another. They were giving the gospel. Anytime you do that for a significant period of time, there is a bond of trust, right, for the mission of the gospel that cannot be broken. And so we see Paul's friends, Titus and Barnabas, that were essential, essential to the ministry of Paul. And Paul makes it clear here when he's writing to the church at Galatia, right? Because he says in, he says in chapter 1, listen, listen, I'm astonished, right? I'm amazed that you're giving up so quickly on this gospel that's been preached to you, right? I'm not coming for my glory. I'm coming for the glory of God for your sake, for the gospel to go forth's sake, right? And, 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 and Titus and Barnabas, they can vouch for me, right? Titus and Barnabas, they, they can vouch for me. Right? They, they, they're, they're my friends. They're my trusted companions. They can vouch for me about what I'm, talk, what I'm talking about here. Okay, Paul's opponents. Let's talk about Paul's opponents. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 2. Everybody good? You still here? Anybody smell the meatballs for the wedding shower after? I feel it kind of trickling in. Starting to smell good. Okay, very good. About 45 more minutes and we'll, be, and we'll get to meatballs. Okay, look at verses 4 and 5. All right. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Now, Paul's, Paul's saying to the church at Galatia, listen, I get it. This wasn't intentional for you, Right. I mean, nobody walks up to you and says, hey, listen, I want to trick you and send you down a path of destruction if you listen to what I say, right? That's not how the devil works, right? He doesn't come with a banner saying, I'm the devil, right? He snuck in, right, to spy out the freedom that Jesus died for for you, right? The, the, the scripture talks about how the enemy is crafty. Right. And so 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 people that are coming for personal gain that are false prophets are going to be crafty. They're not going to come. Right. We, we, we talk about them, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. And it takes time to sniff that out, to know 
what that looks like. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know you're not blatantly doing this, but hopefully now you can see that these people have come in, they've snuck in, they've come in secretly, right? They're kind of slithering in, right? And they're spying out the freedom of the gospel in your life. They're spying out the freedom of the gospel in your life. And so he, he, not only did Paul have great and close friends, but he had hateful and real enemies here, right? He had faithful and real enemies here. Um, I, 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 no, no, we're not going there. Okay, so let's look at their methods. Uh, verse, the first part of verse four. Yet because of false pr- brothers, false prophets, false brethren, sham Christians, bogus believers, pretended associates, right? All, all, all names that, that scholars have given to these false quote-unquote brothers, secretly brought in, who slip in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. So they sneaked in alongside, like a stealth aircraft, one commentator says, that comes in undetected by radar, to spy out, to inspect insidiously or subtly, right? And the NIV says infiltrated methods that were not open to the public, but undercover type operations. Those are fun, aren't they? Um, but, 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 but what we have to see here is that it, in their methods there, they were hypocritical. Their methods were hypocritical. They pretended to be sheep when in reality they were wolves. And it's in Matthew chapter 7 where it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Right? And they were one thing on the outside and something completely different on the inside. And their purpose was that they might bring us into bondage. Right? The purpose was that they might bring us into bondage, to bring believers into bondage, to disturb and upset believers, to make believers less effective, to distract us from the mission, to distract the church from the mission. And this was not an attack on the body of the Gentiles and the body of the Gentiles to have them circumcised, right? This was an attack on the very heart of the gospel. Just get circumcised. It fix everything, right? Well, no. Because now you're saying that salvation plus something, right, equals grace when it's just salvation. And so, and so Paul's saying, don't give in here, right? Don't give in here. Which leads us to Paul's response in verse 5. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We did not yield for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul's response, we didn't give in. We didn't require or persuade Titus to be circumcised. We didn't submit to this at all. We didn't yield even for the shortest period of time. We didn't waver in our opposition to their demands. And what was of utmost importance to Paul was the preservation of the truth of the gospel. Let me, let me say this. I was, I was talking with a, a pastor this past week and just called to encourage him. And, um, and, he, and he said something that just kind of floored me. Um, he, said, uh, he said, you know, I believe opposition in the church is at an all-time high. 
And I said, I'm preaching through Galatians right now, and I wasn't alive in the time of Galatians, but there's some strong opposition there. But maybe in our lifetime, it's at an all-time high that, that, there's just, that, that there's just a lot happening. But you know what I see? You know what I see? We kind of talked about this last Sunday, but, but, but some of you weren't here, and some of you were making grocery lists, and so let's just, let's just go here again. I believe that we are battling on hills that Christians were never meant to die on. We're making gospel. Next Sunday, I'm going to define the word gospel for you. Okay, I've been I've been putting together a definition for gospel. So slight plug for next Sunday. You need to come next Sunday to hear that definition because I'm not going to give it to you today. That was a teaser. Okay? But so, but so many of us, right? And we, and, we, and we talked about it our last Sunday at Gorham, right? So many of us are living one foot in, one foot out. So many of us are, have walls built up. So many of us are holding people at arm's length. So, so, so many of us are living in a guarded way in a in a protective way because we're making the Christian life the gospel plus church we're making life the gospel plus acceptance the gospel plus this the gospel plus this or the gospel minus this right and and so it works both ways and and the whole point of this sermon series, the whole point of us spending time going verse by verse through the book of Galatians is to remember the hills that are worth dying on and the ones that aren't. Where are the places where I need to stand and and, uh, unwavering like Paul and say, no, I will not move from this place. You cannot take my voice away for this. You can't move me here. I'm unshakable here. And where are the places where I need to say, you know what? I'm going to sit down for this one. Because in light of eternity, this one really doesn't matter. And so many of us are bent out of shape. We're, we're, we're threatening this. We're threatening that. We're in fight or flight mode over things that are not hills to die on. Paul is fighting. Paul is fighting and writing here for the freedom of the gospel. That people were not walking in grace. That people were not walking in grace. They weren't being gracious towards each other and they weren't embracing or accepting the freedom of the gospel. These false teachers were saying, no, you have to come up to a certain standard, to a certain level. You have to claim some things in your salvation that are not gospel. And that's why Paul was so upset. Because he cared so deeply about the churches that he'd planted. He said, no, listen, get out. Get out. You're not going to come in here and mess with the people that I love. You're not going to come in here and mess with the people that I love. Right? When you think about a shepherd, right? Sometimes shepherds had to be tough. Right? That's why they carried that staff. Right? Right? That's why somebody told me uh, about six or seven years ago, Pastor, you're the shepherd, right? And I said, yeah. And he, he said he was real bothered by people that were sleeping in church. He said, I think you should have a staff so that you can smack every person that sleep, falls asleep in church. And I said, brother, that will never happen. <laughs> he said it in love, though. It was all in love. 
is all in love. So look out. And if I show up with a staff, look out. I mean, Dylan was a victim one morning. He wasn't paying much attention, and I used to preach with a music stand, and I slapped that music stand real good, and it landed right at his feet just to wake him up and make sure he was listening and paying attention. <laughs> and he hasn't left yet. So what does that mean? And he's under contract for 20 years. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, right? Their methods, their purpose. And then lastly, um, Paul's response, right? So then we go into Paul's ministry, okay? Real quickly, Paul's ministry. In relation to this, look at verses 6 through 10. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added Nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who uh, worked through Peter for the apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. What's Paul talking about, right? Paul's talking about he and Peter, right? Same message, right? Same message, same inspiration, same spirit that was inspiring them for the same message. They had two groups of people. Right? And so you got the circumcised over here, you got the uncircumcised over here, right? And God has called me, Paul, right, to the uncircumcised, and God has called Justin over here to the circumcised. And so I'm Paul, Justin's Peter, right? And what Paul is saying is listen, listen, don't get it twisted. We're preaching the same message to different people. And we celebrate that and we talk about that all the time how God has platformed us for different groups of people. It's the same spirit, it's the same message, it's the same gospel, but God is going to use you to reach people that He would never use me to reach. Right? There's some mechanics in here that can say words and talk language that I'm completely lost in. But I can change a battery now. Okay? And I know how to do that. I know which ones to unhook first and which ones to rehook because it's opposite, in case you didn't know. YouTube's a beautiful thing. Okay? Right? But you get the picture. There's some musicians in here, right? And, I, and I, there's, there's, there's some salespeople, right? There's, and, and God has platformed you with the gospel. That's the importance of the body being most effective when the body ministers to the body. Right? Because some people will never hear the message of the gospel from me like they will from you. And vice versa. That's why it's important to look around for a moment and remind yourself that this is one family, one team. And the way that God uses you is different than He uses me, but that doesn't mean you're any better or I'm any worse or vice versa, right? But that we're a team, and when one of us has victory, we all have victory, and we all celebrate the victory. And when one of us is struggling, getting beat up, we're all struggling. We're all getting beat up right there with you. This is the beauty of Paul's friendship with Barnabas and Titus and why he brings them with him. To remind them. Right? To remind them. And so that's what's happening here. That's what Paul's reminding them of here that Peter was called to the uncircumcised. Paul was entrusted to the gospel, with the gospel to the uncircumcised. Um, and Paul had a unique call to the Gentiles. Peter was most effective with the Jews. Paul was most effective with the Gentiles. Romans 13, 11, 13, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Romans 15, Nevertheless, brothers, I've written to more boldly, written the more boldly, unto you in some sort as putting you in mind, right? Because how many of you know there's some groups of people you can just be more bold with? 
right? There's some groups of people you can be more bold with that I can't be, right? And so the majority of Paul's ministry was with the Gentiles. He could touch their lives and reach them like none of the other apostles could. But the power was the same, the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is speaking of God's inner working in his life. And the Holy Spirit gave Paul extraordinary gifts, worked miracles through Paul's hands. When we think of the ministry of Paul healing the cripple at Lystra, raising uh, Eutychus from the dead with many other signs and wonders uh, through him among the, the Gentiles, the gospel preached by him led the conversion of multitudes. Lives were changed by the preaching of Peter and Paul. Because Peter, when you think about Peter, same Holy Spirit curing the man that was lame from his birth, striking Ananias and Sapphira dead for telling lies. I love that one with the kids. Because whenever the kids lie, Right? You point him to Acts 6 and say, you know what happens in Scripture when you lie? Ananias and Sapphira. Hey, I mean, I'm just, just saying, right? I'm just saying, right? Stri- striking Ananias and Sapphira dead for telling lies, raising Dorcas from the dead, miracles of healing by the imposition of his hands, conversion of a large number of souls, 3,000 by one sermon. And so Paul is reminding the church at Galatia of the credibility of their gospel, which was the gospel. The freedom in it. That you or no one else can put chains on you that Jesus, dis- that Jesus died to lift. And so what does this mean for me? Three things. Number one, you ready for some encouragement? Everyone, everyone, say everyone. Everyone's going to have their enemies. Isn't that encouraging? Everyone's going to have their enemies. Right? Everyone's going to have their enemies. Look at, look at uh, John chapter 3. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm going I'm to read it to you real quick, though. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. For God so loved the world, you may have never heard this verse, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send it the Uh, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Do you notice the language there? For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. Hates the light. Every one of us will have enemies. It is not possible, it is not possible For us to live committed lives to Jesus Christ and not have enemies. They come. Trials come. Tribulation comes. Rejoice when you encounter trials of various kinds for the testing of your faith produces endurance, right? Trials come. Enemies are there. Paul had his. He was hated for the message of salvation that he preached. He was hated for the message of salvation that he preached. Joseph had enemies. Daniel had his enemies. Even Jesus had his enemies as he was a perfect 
man, some things are worth fighting for. The purity of the gospel is the most. So Paul took a stand against those that wanted to pervert the gospel. Against those who wanted to change it or water it down for their sake. For the sake of ease. Acceptance. Everyone will have their enemies. And every, every single one of our enemies are different, right? They look different, they smell different, they show up in different ways. Which brings us to number two. Everyone needs the support of others. We used to have a saying, we used to have a saying at South Coast years ago, you can't, somebody finish it, do life alone. You can't do life alone. You weren't created to do life alone. Hear me, 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 hear me. You can't do life alone. But it's so much easier. I know it is, isn't it? Right? It's per, per, it, the, the perception, right, is this is so much easier to do life alone. You don't have to explain yourself to a bunch of people. You don't have to, I mean, you, you don't have, you can, just, you can just be, right? You can numb yourself with all your vices, right? And just be in your own happy little bubble. But there is no way, in no shape, in no form, that that is fulfilling for the sake of the gospel and what Jesus died for in your life. It's just not. It's not. It's not. You can't do life alone. Paul could not come and combat what he was being called to combat in the church of Galatia alone. He had to bring Barnabas with him. He had to bring Titus with him. He had to bring them, right, so that Barnabas could put the courage that Paul needed to address what Paul needed to address, right, because he was the encourager. Titus, right, was the, was the, was the case study that everything he was preaching was true, but also at the end of the night when Paul had laid himself bare, he could have a couple people that said, hey, you're good. We got you. We got you. Don't worry. We're standing watch tonight. We're holding your arms up. We got you. We got you. Reassuring him, reinforcing the truth of the gospel to him. Every one of us needs the support of others. We can't do life alone. Hebrews 10.25, wish we knew the author. We don't, not forsaking the uh, meeting together, the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Can I make a statement? And I don't really know how you practice it. I don't really know how it comes to life for you. But don't isolate. Don't isolate. You can stay six feet apart and still be in the presence of others. Right? You can take measures for people's safety and still be, still be in the presence of others. Find ways to support one another. It is time. It is time. It is time. Everything in Scripture calls the church to what? Gather. Fellowship. Be together. 
support one another, hold each other's arms up, show up together on a Wednesday afternoon and have a BLT with one another and just talk about life. I had my first BLT this week. That's pretty good. Don't ever, don't judge me. See? Everyone needs the support of one another and you're going to rake your pastor over the coals that he's never had a BLT until Wednesday. It was good. Okay, anyway. Don't miss the, don't miss the moment. Don't miss the moment. Everyone needs the support of others. And then number three. Number three. And I want you to get this, okay? Even the strictest obedience to the law is not enough for salvation. Even the strictest obedience to the law is not enough for salvation. You know what that's called? Legalism. You know what Jesus broke on the cross? Legalism. Walk in the grace and the freedom that God sent His Son to die for in your life and preach that to the people that you come in contact with. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. Even the strictest obedience to the law is not enough for salvation. Living in obedience to God is not what gets you into heaven. It's not what can save you. Jesus Christ alone is our only hope of salvation. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus, period. You know, I think of so many people that say, the worship team can come, I think of so many people that say, I've just got to get this part of my life right before I give my life to Jesus. And listen, friend, that's backwards. That's backwards. Because there are parts of your life you can't get quote-unquote right outside of the power of Christ in you. It is coming to Jesus broken. In less than two weeks, I'm going to give a best man speech for the first time in like 15 years because somebody felt sorry enough for me to make me his best man. And so I've been thinking about love. I've been thinking about love. And I was reminded the other day of a quote that I gave about love and a message six or seven years ago. Love is knowing the ugliest parts of someone and staying. That's love. And the love of Christ. Y'all okay? That's Peter back here. The love of Christ is the most pure love that each and every one of us can have. He knows the ugliest parts of you, even the parts you try to hide from Him. But He died for you.
And he died for those parts too. He died for that shame. He died for that hurt. He died for you because he loves you. And the sooner that we can get back to the purity of the gospel for us, the sooner that we can walk in the joy that he died for us to walk in. There are some of you that are carrying way too much weight on your shoulders. And Jesus is saying, just put it at my feet. Just lay it at my feet. Walk in the freedom that I gave my life for. So this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed. I've been real convicted through this series that as we talk about the gospel, as we talk about this purity, I want to give you an invitation this morning. The invitation is going to be twofold. The first invitation is maybe someone sitting in this room and you'd say, you know what, I've never invited Jesus into my life. Let me say that again. I've never invited Jesus into my life. I've never embraced or trusted the true gospel in my life. Right? And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The second invitation I want to give, and I'm going to, I'm going to give them separately, but I just want you to know for the point of clarity, and as you're praying and discerning what invitation you may need to accept today, the second invitation I want to give this morning is that some of you need to be set free. Some of you need to begin a journey of getting back to the purity of God's word because so much legalism and bondage has been placed on your life and you've been trying to achieve and you've been trying to perform and you've been trying to make this Christian life work, but it's just been exhausting. There's a new word in the Christian circle today that has just kind of come on the scene in the last few years. It's called exvangelical. Right? The de-church, ex-evangelical, right? It's people that are stepping away because they don't feel like they can live up to the pressure of Christianity when Christianity, by definition, ought to be freedom in Christ. Right? And so we've got to get away from preaching this gospel and this message of it's Jesus plus this laundry list of things and get back to the purity of the gospel as the church of Jesus Christ that it's about Jesus, Period. 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 And so some of you this morning need to be set free from some things. And so if you're sitting here this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come down to our giant altar. It's between you and God. I would like to know how as your pastor I can help, and that's the only reason I'm going to look around and ask you to respond to me. But this is really between you and God. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to say yes to the truth of the gospel. I need to surrender my life to Jesus for the first time. Would you just lift up your hand? I'm not going to count. I'm not going to make it cute. I'm not going to drag this out. Just right where you are, would you lift up your hand? You can put it right back down. Anybody at all? Give you about 10 seconds. Anybody at all? Okay. Okay. If you're sitting here this morning, you say, you know what? I've made it about Jesus and. I've made it about Jesus plus. 
or there's some hurts and there's some pain, there's some, there's some baggage that I'm carrying with my relationship with Jesus that I'm just, I just need to pray through. I need to be set free from. Would you lift up your hand? I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all? Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. I got you. Anybody else? So God, right now, I just pray for those hands that were lifted and the hands that weren't. God, I just, I pray for freedom. God, I pray that today would be a day that we remember. God, where we came to you and we had to come, we had to come to Jesus meeting. God, and we, and, we, and we confessed all of the ways where we're trying to achieve grace and we're trying to do all of these things and we're trying to perform and we're trying to make all these things happen and we're trying to, we're, we're, we're trying to walk this quote-unquote Christian life with all these chains and bondage. God, I pray that today would be a day where we begin a journey to freedom. And so God, I thank you for the truth of your word this morning. And I pray that joy would flow through this place as we leave. In Jesus' name we pray.